social variable in American life. As explicit legal barriers to minority advancement receded farther into the past, the fates of the working classes of different races would converge. By the mid-2000s, Wilson's thesis looked pretty good. The black middle class was vibrant and growing as the average black wealth nearly doubled from 1995 to 2005. Race appeared to lose its salience as a political predictor. More and more blacks were voting Republican, reversing a decades-long trend, and in 2004, George W. Bush collected the highest share of the Latino, 44%, and Asian, 43%, vote of any Republican ever. Our politics grew increasingly ideological and less racial. Progressives and the beneficiaries of a generous social welfare state generally supported the Democratic Party, while more prosperous voters were more likely to support Republicans. Stable majorities expressed satisfaction with the state of race relations. It wasn't quite a post-racial politics, but it was certainly headed in that direction. But in the midst of the financial crisis of 2007, something happened. Both the white poor and the black poor began to struggle mightily, though for different reasons. And our politics changed dramatically in response. It's ironic that the election of the first black president marked the end of our brief flirtation with a post-racial politics. By 2011, William Julius Wilson had published a slight revision of his earlier thesis, noting the continued importance of race. The black wealth of the 1990s, it turned out, was built on the mirage of house values. Inner-city murder rates, which had fallen for decades, began to tick upward in 2015. In one of the deadliest mass shootings in recent memory, a white supremacist murdered nine black people in a South Carolina church. And the ever-present antagonism between the police and black Americans, especially poor blacks whose neighborhoods are the most heavily policed, erupted into nationwide protests. Meanwhile, the white working class descended into an intense cultural malaise, Prescription opioid abuse skyrocketed, and deaths from heroin overdoses clogged the obituaries of local papers. In the small, heavily white Ohio County where I grew up, overdoses overtook nature as the leading cause of death. A drug that for so long was associated with inner-city ghettos became the cultural inheritance of the Southern and Appalachian white. White youths died from heroin significantly more often than their peers of other ethnicities. Incarceration and divorce rates increased steadily. Perhaps most strikingly, while the white working class continued to earn more than the working poor of other races, only 24% of white voters believed that the next generation would be better off. No other ethnic group expressed such alarming pessimism about its economic future. And even as each group struggled in its own way, common forces also influenced them. Rising automation in blue-collar industries deprived both groups of high-paying, low-skilled jobs. Neighborhoods grew increasingly segregated, both by income and by race, ensuring that poor whites lived among poor whites while poor blacks lived among poor blacks. As a friend recently told me about San Francisco, Bull Connor himself couldn't have designed a city with fewer black residents. Predictably, our politics began to match this new social reality. In 2012, Mitt Romney collected only 27% of the Latino vote. Asian Americans, a solid Republican constituency even in the days of Bob Dole, went for Obama by a three-to-one margin, a shocking demographic turn of events over two decades. 
Meanwhile, the black Republican became an endangered species. Republican failures to attract black voters fly in the face of Republican history. This was the party of Lincoln and Douglas. Eisenhower integrated the school in Little Rock at a time when the Dixiecrats were the defenders of the racial caste system. Republicans, rightfully proud of this history, constructed a narrative to explain their modern failures. Black people had permanently changed, become addicted to the free stuff of the 1960s social welfare state. The Democratic Party was little more than a new plantation, offering goodies in exchange for permanent dependence. There was no allowance for the obvious, that the black vote drifted away from Republicans en masse only after Goldwater became the last major presidential candidate to oppose the 1960s civil rights agenda. Besides, Republicans told themselves, the party didn't actually need the black vote anyway. It would win where others had lost, by re-engaging the missing white voter, a phantom whose absence...